This week on the Vergecast, Micah Singleton from Billboard joins to talk about Square buying title. Tom Warren talks to us about all the Microsoft news this week, and we get into some Apple rumors and what is going on with the App Store in Arizona. That's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello, and welcome to The Rochast, the flagship podcast of high-end streaming services. Great. I'm excited. I'm your friend, Eli. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your non-fungible friend. Ooh. It's true. You're, you're irreplaceable. We, we have a fun show today. Tom Warren is here. Hello there. We have a, a lot of Microsoft news to talk about. And for our first segment, notable Verge expat Michael Singleton is here. Billboard reporter Michael Singleton. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? I am doing all right. I'm excited to have Mike on for the first segment because I'm just going to say it. Square bot title, which is just a n- nonsense phrase. And Mike is going to explain what's going on. But first, uh, as always, I want to start with COVID and vaccine news. The most important story in the world. Our science team continues to do a great job of it. As you probably know, I hope you know, the FDA has authorized the one dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine that can be stored at room temperature. That's a big deal. The FDA authorized it. An independent FDA committee authorized it. We've got that story on the site. If you're interested in knowing more about that vaccine, I encourage everyone to go get vaccinated. That vaccine is a big deal. It can narrow some of the gaps in vaccines that we've seen. We have a long story about that and how that might play out. COVID long haulers, people have had COVID for a long time. There's a surprising number of them. They're starting to say they feel better after getting vaccinated. We have a story about that. I always talk about second order effects of the pandemic. One of them that I think is just really interesting and and sort of clever is vaccine centers are starting to embrace stickers and selfie stations and make getting vaccinated a cultural moment. That's a big change. We got a story about that. As the pandemic comes to a close, people are getting vaccinated. CO2 emissions are coming back to 2019 levels. That's something to keep an eye on. And lastly, on the platform front, uh, Twitter is going to start labeling COVID-19 vaccine misinformation, enforcing a strike system against that that might get kicked off Twitter if you're a repeat offender. And Facebook has a bunch of COVID-19 misinformation policies. The oversight board, the like Supreme Court of Facebook, said you should loosen them. Facebook said it will not, which I think is probably the right choice. Okay, science team uh, doing a great job covering covid Still the biggest story in the world, hopefully, as people get vaccinated, coming to a close. I'm hopeful. All right, Michael, let's talk about Square and Title 
and I'm just going to force you to talk about NFTs as well, because it is, every, oh it all seems together. So this morning, I think you were among the first reporters to break this news. Jack Dorsey, who owns Square, and Jay-Z, who owns Tidal, announced a, a beautiful partnership. What on earth is going on here? So this has been in the works for some time uh, since last summer. Jack and Jay-Z have been gallivanting around the world on vacations together for a little bit, <laughs> uh, you know, getting this deal together. Uh, Square is acquiring Tidal, not really for the streaming service. They're really doing it to get access to musicians and build financial components around that. So there's a lot of synergies here for Cash App. There's been a big sort of push in the music industry recently to support indie artists and get direct-to-consumer. Um, recently, SoundCloud changed their payment structure to go to user-centric. So what effectively that means is who you listen to gets paid by that. Currently, that's not the structure in the music industry. Right now, it's, it's based on market share. Um, your money goes to Taylor Swift, whether you listen to Taylor Swift or not, because she pulls in the most streams. That structure is slowly and quietly changing on the independent side. The end point of that is you going on title and saying, I want to listen to this artist. And they say, well, give us $10 to cash app and they'll all go directly to the artist. That's that's the end point. That's the end goal here for this. Um, so that's that's what they're trying to build here is sort of the next phase of streaming, the next phase of independent artists getting paid for their content, getting paid for merchandise. And that's where Square can really sort of leverage titles, you know, streaming service or lack thereof <laughs> to build a, a better ecosystem. Wait, walk me through that r really quick. So you would right now I paid I don't know how much money I pay $15 a month to Spotify. Yeah. So your $15 right now is going to Drake, it's going to BTS, it's going to Taylor Swift. It really doesn't matter who you listen to because it's based on market share. So BTS, you know, whenever they put out a new single, everyone, on, all their fans on Twitter get together and, and do a streaming push. They all stream the song a million times. That takes up market share and your money's going to them, right? You could be listening to an indie band, but they're only getting a percentage of that market share. What SoundCloud has done with their independent artists has changed that structure. So if you're listening to, you know, Beyonce and Kings of Leon, they'll get five bucks and five bucks, right? They'll get your money. That's not the current structure everywhere. And that will slowly change over time as the industry has been pushing for this for a long time. And so the next evolution of that is just paying artists directly for music like we once did, cutting out the middleman, Square gets paid off their fees. You can just cash out people for, money, for songs, for merchandise, for things that can sell through title. Um, and then Square can build an ecosystem around that that will far exceed what they could do with the streaming service. And so, you know, the long-term strategy here is to build an ecosystem, a financial ecosystem around musicians that, you know, will pull in more revenue than what they're currently getting through a streaming service. Right. So th this is like the long-standing criticism of how music works now, that songs are worth nothing. Right. Right. The best thing you can do is, before the pandemic, if you're an artist, you're making a lot of singles in your hotel room before the tour. You're always on tour because the tour is where the money is. The streaming services are making you nothing. This is a way to flip that around. Right. If you can change that and if you can make it so that if you go on title, you can pay, you know, your favorite artist 10 bucks for a song or for an album. They can get that money directly today through Cash App. They don't have to wait six months to get their royalties back. They can sell you merchandise directly and get paid for that today. That sort of upends what we're currently dealing with in the music industry, which is if you have Olivia Rodrigo, she put out her huge single driver's license, which has been number one on Billboard for a while. She's not going to get paid for that until the end of the year. That's a good plug for right? Billboard, Micah. I'm <laughs> Thank you. I've been working on it. 
So, okay, this is a stupid question, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because that's my job here. Why did Square have to buy Tidal to do this? Couldn't they have just <laughs> made, if they just made the, yeah. the like music licensing, pay the artist service and just offered it to everybody, nobody would use it. So they had to buy Tidal to like make it happen to force everybody else to follow along. Or like, it seems weird that they need Tidal to do this. They don't need Tidal to do it. But when you okay. buy Title, you get the relationships. Title has been late on payments for multiple years. I and mean, I just reported today that they're late on payments once again. We reported that at The Verge in 2018. The only reason that stands is because the labels can't do anything to Jay-Z. He has too many connections. You don't want to piss off the guy who's married to Beyonce. That doesn't really work out for your business. <laughs> so when you have those relationships, that speeds up the process. You don't have to deal with, you know, getting along with the music industry and, and figuring all that out when you can bring him in-house and you have Rock Nation coming with him in relationships and you can build off that and get big artists to jump on the platform and build that up quickly. It speeds up the process. And, you know, for Square, $300 million is a rounding error. So let me, let me make a comparison to another streaming service purchase that was a rounding error. There's this company called Apple and they bought a streaming service called Beats Music. Mm-hmm. which was run by Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre and Trent Reznor. And none of those people got titles at Apple. They were just Jimmy and Dre, which was the best part of that whole announcement. And the idea yeah. was Jimmy Iovine would come in with relationships and they would build Apple Music and they would get exclusives and they would do something. Instead, what you have is Apple Music is like a rounding error for Apple that they like music. It's great. The Beats headphone business is from what I can tell, just a group of perpetually unhappy people who get nothing. And Jimmy and Dre and Trent just like are gone from Apple. Like th- that's a direct comparison to this same idea, right? You're going to buy a famous musician who's successful in the industry as a business person, as well as an artist. They're going to bring you the connections you need to grow a new kind of music industry. Why, why will this be different? Well, depends how you're looking at Apple Music. If you're looking at it as, you know, it's not the biggest streaming service in the world, sure. If you're looking at it as a key component of Apple One, a subscription service that Apple is focused on growing, then it's working, right? They're the second biggest streaming service out right now. If you're focused on just subscriptions and it doesn't matter where those subscriptions come from and you're building an ecosystem based off purely subscriptions and you're building a a bundle effectively that you're trying to grow rapidly, it's working for them. Apple Music is making money. They signed Drake, which really helped grow that platform. They're the number one streaming service for hip hop. You know, but The Verge have reported multiple times how Apple Music consistently outstreamed Spotify when it came to hip hop releases on first weeks. Every single time, despite hip, you know, despite Spotify being two or three times bigger than them at the time. So they built an ecosystem around that. They're the most loved service by artists. They get to maintain that. And so from that aspect is working. Do they want it to be the biggest service? Probably. Is it there? No. But is it a key component of Apple One and the reason people are subscribing to it and a reason why I just paid Verizon more money to give me free Apple music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but let me, so brings us back to title. Title, Jay-Z, another, a host of owners, largely representative of the hip hop community. They make this deal with Square. Is the goal to grow title, to compete for that second or first spot in streaming? Or is it to say, there's a new, there's a different, better way for artists to make money. That's more direct connections to fans. Square is a financial services provider. We'll be the financial services provider on any platform. Or is it about title? So I asked uh, Jesse Dorogusker, who is going to be the interim head of title, this question. And he said they want to make title much bigger. But he said it's not just about streaming. It's, it's about the artist. 
And that tells me they're going after touring revenue, right? If you can pull in artists' merchandise through touring and everyone's going through Cash App and everyone's going through Square, and you can pull in that market, which they don't have right now, right? They don't control the marketing and, and you know, touring merchandise market. They can grab that using title. They can grab that using Jay-Z's relationships. They can grab that using Jay-Z, who Rock Nation is through Live Nation. There's a lot of connections there for them to really go in and say, hey, we're going to build this product. We're going to build a streaming service that's paying you the most per stream compared to any other streaming service. We're going to give you better rates than you're getting currently. And we're going to take that market and make a lot of money from it because touring is going to come back over the next couple of years and it's going to blow up again. And that is going to be a big market for them. So they're looking at ancillary you know, opportunities here. The streaming service, yeah, they want to grow it, but it's growing it in service of building better financial products around the music industry. Okay, so I get some of that. Like That actually makes sense. And the touring thing is a really interesting component because then artists can just have one, one company providing a bunch of their money, the stuff they sell online and the stuff they sell at their tours. Okay. I'm trying to think of it from like Jack Dorsey's perspective because, you know, Twitter owns a little bit of SoundCloud. Uh, <laughs> Twitter just announced a way to pay people directly with super tweets. Uh, they bought review. And so there's like a whole like pay creators directly thing happening on Twitter. And Twitter is also involved in SoundCloud. And then over on the other side, he has Square by title. Like what is going on in his galaxy brain? Well, when you talk about Twitter, I mean, Twitter is not, they don't have a good relationship with the music industry right now. I yeah. Mean, I reported a couple months ago that, that the music industry is very mad at Twitter. They don't have a content ID system. They take very long times to remove copyrighted content. Um, and so they've been in a back and forth for a while. This will not smooth that relationship over because the music industry is not that fond of title either. So there's going to be some issues there going forward. Uh, but what Jack is trying to accomplish is, is unclear. I, you know, it seems that this is going to be a good move for the you know titles space and, and growing that space around the touring industry and around the merchandise industry. But overall, his music strategy has been scatterbrained, say the least. I mean, SoundCloud is is done decent recently. It's sort of improving now. They have a new CEO over there um, who's sort of helping turn things around. But you know they've not been great. Twitter's obviously have their issues, and Square is is sort of jumping in this with lead. You know, the, the Jesse Dorgusker, who's going to lead Tidal, he was the guy that led development on the Lightning Connector at Apple. So he's, his background is not anything close to music. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops. And, you know, that will help him on the high fidelity side, which Tidal's been good at. They have more high-end speakers support Tidal than any other streaming service in terms of high fidelity audio. So they'll work out for them in that aspect. But there are questions around how the core streaming service will be led moving forward. That, that's sort of the biggest question. I think what you know people in the industry see as a positive is the ancillary products that can be grown around this. But no one is expecting Tidal to blow up over the next few years and you know pick up 20 million subscribers. Really? No one's expecting Tidal to blow up? No, no. I haven't heard that. I've talked to a lot of people today. Uh, no, one's, no one's really expecting that. They're not expecting it to blow up. They're expecting to, uh, to do the opposite thing, to implode, right? I mean, implode to where? Yeah, they, it's harder for them to further implode. Micah, you've done like an excellent job of presenting this as a rational deal that makes sense. What's the <laughs> opposite case? Right? It's just Jay-Z con Jack Dorsey into buying his failed streaming service. Like, that's the opposite case, right? Um, sure. Yeah, that's, that, that's the opposite case. I mean, he, you know, Square bought this at a lower valuation than Title had a couple of years ago when they took the investment from Sprint. Uh, Sprint invested $200 million for a third of the company, valuing it at $600 million. This was a $297 million deal for a majority stake, which means it's worth less than that. So, you know, they took a hit. 
Um, but Jay put $56 million into this company when he bought it in 2015 from uh, Aspiro. So he's going to make a profit. The artists are still involved. But the question you know, around the main streaming service is, it's not, it, they said it's growing, but growing is relative. Spotify is growing by leaps and bounds. Apple is still growing. They're approaching 100 million subscribers. Amazon is growing rapidly. Spotify and Amazon have both introduced high fidelity tiers, which is this sort of the direct competition from Tidal and sort of where they got the idea from. I mean, Tidal, I was talking to one music executive today and they said Tidal is the reason that Amazon made that play. They saw the market was viable. They took it and ran with it and they did it better than them. And now you're seeing the fruits of that. So, you know, the distinctions of Tidal have sort of fallen away. The only thing they really have right now is artists are still involved and they pay the most per stream, but that doesn't matter to the majority of people. So there's going to be remaining questions around how do they sort of develop and elevate the core streaming service? I think the ancillary products will be good, but that main streaming service is falling behind and they're going to have to do a lot of innovation to, to get that up to par if that's their goal. So let me ask you one last question because I know you got to run. Next to all of this, there's just been a flurry of chatter about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, things that you can buy on the internet that are less copyable than other things. We're going to do a whole episode next week because uh, Liz Lopato is writing a long, a long NFT story. So we'll do, we'll do all of that next week. But a lot of people this week have been saying NFTs, basically selling digital items on the blockchain is the future for artists. Uh, Kings of Leon actually just put out an album as an NFT this week. I, I know Jack is deep into Bitcoin. Square is deep into Bitcoin. Is there a connection here or is that just I'm taking the two big news topics and mashing them together? I would be surprised if they don't do something with NFTs. That would be more surprising to me. I, I would definitely see something there. Jack and Jay, I think they just invested $50 million in Bitcoin and Africa to develop sort of music companies there. They're into Bitcoin. They're into cryptocurrencies. I, it would shock me if they don't do something with NFTs. The labels are sort of scrambling to figure out what to do with this. I'm hearing some stuff around the labels not understanding how this works yet. So there's going to be a lot of scrambling from music companies over the next couple of months. Um, a DJ named Blau just made $11.5 million selling his album through NFTs. So that market is rapidly developing, and it would shock me if Tidal and Square did not get involved in it. Yes, this is just all the keywords I love. Like ultimately, I feel like what happened here is Jay Z acquired Jack Dorsey, <laughs> right? Like I'm just like proud of Jay for just like pulling this off. What happens next year? Is there, is, is there something people should be looking for? Uh, the question is how fast can Square spin this up? Right? Live Nation is expecting the stream, the touring industry to sort of rebound this fall, late winter, um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see if Title can get something going by then. They're also having to repair relationships. You know, those relationships have been strained and no one has liked Title for a long time. And Square is going to have to repay that. Now, the great thing about Square is they're a payment company, so they should be able to pay their bills on time, <laughs> unlike Title. But those relationships are going to take some work to repair and for labels to get back in good graces with Title. And so those are the two things I'm looking for to see if they can really rebuild those relationships around the industry and see how fast they can spin this up when touring comes back. Because touring's going to come back soon, and when it comes back, it's going to come back fast. Every major artist is in line to get dates at arenas right now because it's going to be a backlog. So expect next summer to be very busy in the touring industry. And I would just point out, Jay-Z has a, has a pretty big stake in Live Nation. Like From his perspective, he's just bringing it all together. Yeah, Live Nation is a co-owner of Rock Nation. So there's the tie-ins everywhere here. Nothing like the music industry to be simple, direct, and not based on 
crony capitalism. All right, Micah. <laughs> I miss you, man. It was great talking to you. We'll have to have you back soon. Thank you so much. Good talking to you too, buddy. Talk soon. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. We got to talk about all this Microsoft news. There's so much of it. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. Tom. Hello. Microsoft just went crazy this week. They did. They kept me busy. We're all going to be working in VR. We're going to be floating around as avatars. What 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 happened? Um so I guess the big thing, the VR floating around in avatar stuff, Microsoft Mesh. Um that was their big announcement. They 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 held basically Microsoft Ignite this week, which is kind of their IT admin enterprise sort of conference. Um and Mesh was the big thing. So uh, I'd like to say it's the future of AR, the future of VR, or whatever they want to call it. But really, I think it's like a rebranding of some of the stuff they've already been doing and a meshing together, shall we say, of, um, of, of like the VR and AR stuff that they want to do. So essentially, it's kind of like a, a platform that underpins a lot of the work. Like when, when they first um, introduced HoloLens, one of the things they really wanted to do was the idea of HoloLens. Uh, portation so you could basically teleport yourself into a virtual world and have a meeting with someone else and see them and you'd, you'd see each other in real time you know sci-fi sort of stuff um and now it's feels like it's closer to becoming th- that reality but it's not quite there so they're using avatars instead at the moment so it's, it's like we're nearly there we've got this mesh <laughs> thing but we still need to do avatars um and that's basically the basic gist of it. It's a lot more complicated than that. There's, there's APIs, there's platform stuff involved. Um, but they basically want this experience to span across a bunch of devices. So HoloLens obviously being the one where you get the most, you know, AR sort of experience. And then you get your VR headsets, um, Oculus, you know, all, all of the sort of leading ones that will be supported there. And then the 2D experience on the Mac and on Windows PCs and iOS and Android. So it sort of spans every, every sort of device out there. And I guess it, they're, they're really kind of putting it out there as a platform for developers to build on top of pretty much what like what they do with HoloLens and some of their Windows Mixed Reality headsets. Um, the real question around it is, 
you know, people don't own these headsets really in 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 a mass volume. Um, we're not quite there yet, and it's 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 whether they lead us there to wherever there is AR and VR, whatever the future of that sort of. But it, it feels like that's going to be some sort of future. Um, but it's whether they lead us there or if Apple comes in and you know shakes things up. So I, I want to start with just a very the thing you're talking about the headset. Mm-hmm. Just to attend this meeting, you had to do a lot of work. So just describe what it took to attend Microsoft's announcement. Yeah, so Microsoft, despite I have a gaming PC that's capable of VR and everything else, Microsoft still wanted to send me a laptop that was capable of VR, uh, a VR headset, and a HoloLens headset, all to do an hour meeting, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, this is how we do meetings in the future, apparently. Um, so like this giant pelican arrived in my in my house like last week sometime and it it came with like all these instructions on how to set it all up and like it, it took it, it i guess it kind of highlighted like the experience of vr and, and ar at the moment like ar yeah the the, the hololens headset you sort of switch it on you click an app and it's there you know like it's a lot more they've done a lot of out of box experience stuff that's that's pretty good there but like the vr experience is is a lot of like you know plugging all these sort of crazy cables in because there's no single cable um so I basically set the HoloLens up, did a meeting with Alex Kipman, who, if you don't know who, who Alex Kipman is, he's the inventor, essentially, of Connect and of the HoloLens. Um, and he basically appeared as like an avatar form in my living room. Like his body or an av- like a cartoon version of his body? A cartoon version, okay. yeah. So, And then he like started handing me jellyfish. As you do in meetings. These days. <laughs> Were they non-fungible jellyfish or could you? Yeah. <laughs> do you buy and sell jellyfish? So wait, let me, this is one of the things about AR, particularly in the work context that I, I'm just trying to puzzle it. So I think most people think about AR and the immediate thing I think of is I'm going to put on some glasses. I'm going to go outside and like, I'll get walking directions overlaid on the real world or right. I'll walk into a party or a conference and people's names will appear above their faces, which is, I will buy that headset the second it comes out. Surveillance state that is required to build that functionality, be damned. If you can just help me be better at names and faces, I will buy that headset tomorrow. That's what most people think about when they think about AR. That's just my my guess, right? You're, you're going to be out and about doing stuff. Microsoft's vision of AR or MR, whatever they want to call it, with HoloLens, like very focused on work. Right. So you've done the demo. I've done the demo. I think Dieter may have done the demo before where they're like, you're going to change a spark plug on a motorcycle and the motorcycles in front of you. And there's like arrows and instructions and it's a cool demo. And what Mm -hmm. has always struck me about that is it is premised on the physical space around you being controlled. Yes. Yeah. And I just like if Alex Hipman was in my living room right now, like it would be so weird because he wouldn't know what my living room looks like. So what's he like? What's he do? What's the value of him there? Yeah, he'd have no way of seeing that either, unless you like enabled the camera sensors on the headset so that you could see it. But then it's kind of defeating the the point of the whole thing anyway. Yeah, like I, I think the way that it's swayed for them with with Hololens is like they they had this grand vision um, of like connecting people in meeting spaces and just this shared collaboration sort of stuff, um, and it kind of swayed very enterprise heavy just because you know those are the sort of customers that could afford it, right? And those are the sort of customers that were finding value in it. Like no one's really wants to walk around with this headset on outside at the moment for these walking directions and you know to get someone's facebook profile know their name when you're walking down the street or something like that like that is very far 
far in the future uh, once these things shrink down but for now it's like it's very enterprise focused because it, it kind of has to be right that, that's their market right now and um, it's the only people that are willing to invest and to to spend the money right now apart from like i'd say there's a large sort of growing learning um and education sort of market i think um maybe not for ar but definitely for vr that they're sort of like trying to tap into but yeah like it's, it's the enterprise stuff is is the key and, and and this kind of spawns from that right like it's it's all to, to do with getting you know architects and designers in a virtual space together to collaborate um which obviously during the pandemic is particularly relevant but so the the thing that's interesting about the way microsoft thinks about AR, but especially like these virtual spaces. Disclosure, my wife works for Oculus, Vision of Facebook, et cetera, uh, is they're not trying to build like the metaverse, right? They're not doing what Epic done or what actually what Facebook is trying to do and like create a single space. They've talked about like they want to they want to have like AR location stuff all around the world. And they like they've talked about that. But for this like this Microsoft Teams stuff and Mesh specifically, they really want to like they want to make the platform and then have every single, I don't know, company on the planet create their figure out how they want to use it for their own virtual spaces. Yeah, they're, they're basically trying to create the plumbing, right? Um, that, that they want developers to feed into their apps to base meshify their apps, essentially, and make them collaborative um, in AR. Um, that's their vision, right? Because um, then they own that platform, essentially. <laughs> the vision is world domination. <laughs> yeah. It's a very subtle vision. <laughs> Do you have a sense of how, how seriously Microsoft takes this? I'm just thinking of the 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 Kitchen of the Future CES demos that Bill Gates did for 10 years, right? That we never really knew how much, if they were showing off or if they were like, no, this is real, we're doing this. This seems like on the scale, like it's as real, they're doing this. Yeah, I think I think it's it definitely is, it like I think they haven't talked a lot, a lot about HoloLens over the last, last year or two. And this feels like a, you know, a reinvestment. But I think Satya Nadella sort of put it in the um, in the Ignite keynote. He, he compared it to Xbox Live which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. So he said like how that changed, um, you know, cooperative play and the ability to have single multiplayer gaming and sort of over the internet. And he thinks that is, you know, going to unlock the potential for AR um, with, with mesh in in the same sort of thing. So I I don't know if I fully agree that that it's that, you know, it's that significant, but I feel like that's the way that they're viewing it, right? Like that's they they feel like they're putting a big investment into into this, and and they are they're doing a lot of research and they're doing a lot of stuff that you know competitors aren't quite there yet. Um, so they are definitely ahead. But like I said earlier, they're going to have some really strong competition once this stuff matures and the headsets get to that point where yeah, you know the the price comes down a little and they're less clunky. Well, that's that's me as a thing, right? So there's a bunch of other teams in Microsoft at work news that we should talk about. Like in the pandemic, everybody like lots of people are working from home. Microsoft is in a prime position to capitalize on that. Other companies like Slack and Google have tried to capitalize on that stuff too. But right now, like the biggest competition for HoloLens and Mesh is just Teams exists, and you don't have to put a thing on your head and like yeah. monkey with, and it, you just like push the button and you're in the video call, and then. When it's over, you close it and then you just like go back to work and that like, you know, it's some of it works better than others. And, you know, it's, it's a very competitive market. I say we only figured out that out like this year to like have a video call to be click a link <laughs> before this year. It was still like it was still clunky. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was. Yeah. Zoom kind of really made that a lot easier for sure. <laughs> Through a series of security problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like but that's the competition, right, is. Yeah. I, we're just talking right now. None of us had to put on headsets and like nah. 
figure out why your avatar is like misaligned in my room that you can't see. Yeah. And if you're going to pay that cost, right, that's a cost. You got to wear the headset. You got to set it up. It's got to work. You're going to have some weirdness in the early going. There needs mm-hmm. to be some corresponding value. Yeah. Right? You have to get something out of that that you couldn't get otherwise. What is Microsoft's perspective on what you would get out of that? I think I think it is like so when I did the keynote, I, I don't play around with a bunch of VR stuff a lot of the time. So for, for me, like the value like of going into that keynote is that I almost felt like I was at a Microsoft event. Because it was kinda like they, they literally had people like like you know when you take a meeting, you have like PR handlers and they kinda like just float. But, but that was in VR, right? Yes. Not AR. Yes, it was all in, yeah, this was in VR. Yeah. And you know you know how you have like they have PR handlers that kind of just float around, they're not really doing anything, they're just kind of, you know, they're just happy. They're just around. And, yeah. yeah. Taking notes. They had those people in VR. Like <laughs> there was PR people in VR doing that. So it, like, it all felt like very strangely real in, in that sense. And I think that's, that's the thing. Like if they can pull this off in a collaborative space where it makes sense. And like they, they obviously acquired all space VR, which is powering like a lot of the avatar work here. And mm. they acquired them. Like, I think it's like three, three years ago. Somewhere. If they can pull that off and like meshify this collaborative space across all the apps and make it that it is like plug and play and that you, you do feel more immersed um, when you're doing these meetings and stuff. I think that's the the payoff, right? If they, it's because they talked about bringing this into Microsoft teams. So it's not, it's not like they are competing with teams because eventually it will be part of teams mm-hmm. somehow. And I think that's the payoff. If it, it feel, all feels a bit more immersive, I guess, because they've done some, some pretty neat work with teams where like they, they will cut your silhouette out and put you side by side with your colleagues and stuff. And it looks a bit like gimmicky and stuff, but it actually does kind of make you feel a bit more like interested in the meeting, a bit more like you're not just looking at a grid of people. So it's, it's a lot of that, like a lot of that work that I feel like would be a payoff to make these meetings a little bit more bearable, <laughs> especially when you're, when you're doing like, you know, 10 of these a day. I guess my question comes down to, is that a VR payoff or an AR payoff? That's the big question, right? Because we are at the point where, like Microsoft's calling it mixed reality. They don't care. It's like, they don't care if it's VR or AR. They're, they're just, they're targeting both, right? They've obviously really invested in AR. And I think pretty much if you ask most people in the industry, they can probably see AR winning out once the technology's there because it just, it makes sense in a broader spectrum of applications, right? But at the moment, VR is way more immersive and works a lot better than a HoloLens headset. So it's like it's that interim period, right? But I think I think it's gonna be both. Yeah. Like I, I don't I don't think it's particularly one's gonna win out like straight away. But if they if they can get like a common sort of app across the of, across the two, then I just the conventional wisdom for the longest time, and I think we we kind of heard this around like Apple rumors, right? Yeah. VR is great, but it's mm-hmm. kind of niche. The real thing is AR. We're going to put all of our effort into that. And it's like, yeah. well, now I've just spent a year in this goddamn house. Like, <laughs> I don't need you to augment this reality. Like, please take me to a different <laughs> virtual reality. That would be great. Yeah, you almost want to just teleport somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, nothing about this reality is important to me, actually. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we're even seeing some of that with the Apple rumors lately, which is their, their first product will be a very expensive high-end VR headset. Yeah. Because you are able to control, like literally you're able to control that entire like space yeah, like, virtually and do things with that that are interesting. Whereas uh, unless you're out and about 
adding information to reality like might not be that helpful or useful or even doable could be distracting yeah and it's like this huge task and and they've overcome quite a few of like the very basic like gestures and stuff like even even when when, when hollands first came out like just grabbing objects was was really clunky like there just wasn't a really easy way of doing it you had to like air tap which was like your finger in the air and tap down silly things like that but now you can actually grab objects as, as if they were there the hand and eye tracking stuff that they're working on has obviously come on over the last few years, few years and progressed. Um, but there's still so, so massive hurdles of understanding the world around you for a computer, just in basic computer vision and AI. Um, and that stuff just, you know, Google, Microsoft, a bunch of other companies are working on that. Um, and it's not, it's not solved yet. So I think, yeah, like Apple, they'll do their VR headset. It'll be, you know, expensive, but it'll be like a single cable It'll probably be 120 plus hertz, you know, displays, really fluid. And it will teach the VR market a, a, a big lesson, but it will also open it up to like the these people who are sending the two, $300 headsets. It's, it just creates that interest in the market, like broader interest if Apple, if Apple comes in. So yeah. if they do it right. So. We'll see. It'll be a single cable. Would it be like a proprietary? Oh yeah, for sure. Thunderbolt yeah. Seven Light to Lightning. <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's. A, uh, let's talk about all this other Microsoft. They announced a bunch of other team stuff. Let's go through it. Yeah. So speaking of meetings, they did the new intelligent speakers, which um, Nadella sort of uh, came on stage in. I think it was Build 2018 or something like that. And they did like this meeting room of the future where it basically identify anyone who's in the meeting, transcribe what they're saying, even translate it. Um, so pretty, pretty good if you're a remote worker and you're sort of dialed into a meeting and you don't really know who's talking and all that sort of stuff. Um, they've actually made that reality now with these with these sort of like small puck like devices, essentially. But I mean, we're at the time when people aren't in meeting rooms now so it's like awkward <laughs> timing but at, at least they delivered on what they said they were gonna so at least that wasn't like some weird prototype research project so. yeah i was in the room that they like set up on their campus two years ago to show off like the first iteration of this oh, and like yeah, you did the back the, the behind the scenes yeah it was yeah. very very cool and i was really impressed with all the especially the auto translation stuff like this is great for accessibility cool 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 when 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 are you gonna ship it and you know they i'm glad they actually did it <laughs> Yeah, we just have to see how good it is now. But I don't know when we're going to be able to test that because, yeah. <laughs> so that was that. And then Teams is getting end-to-end -end encryption support. It's only like one-on-one -on -one, um, and it's very it's very limited um, for enterprise customers. But pretty good that they, they're getting that. And then Outlook actually got a new calendar view, which doesn't sound that exciting, but kind <laughs> of is because like if you've used Outlook or any calendars, they're pretty difficult to manage, like a combination of tasks and goals and lists and all this sort of stuff. So they're kind of they're making basically a Trello board in your calendar where you can just drag and drop stuff, files, whatever. It's it, it looks kind of neat. I mean, my big takeaway from all this, and then like a bunch of stuff they announced like in the interim, is I'm not saying Microsoft wasn't doing stuff before, but it really feels like, especially with Teams, they've got some real momentum and some like actually really interesting things happening. Um, yeah. in a way that they didn't before. When they first launched like the version of Teams, I was like, oh, you made a Slack clone. Okay, ha ha. But it really feels like they've got their head wrapped around their like strategy for, it's not the office suite anymore, but for like productivity and collaboration software. And they're they're actually doing interesting stuff. And there's there's just more sort of, I don't know, juice. There's more momentum there than I've seen from them in a long time. 
Yeah, I mean, they they basically trying to create, trying to basically put Teams as their hub for everything, yeah. right? Like for mm-hmm. everything, especially for everything Office. Um, like you, you could basically think of like the Office brand as Teams now. Really, yeah. that's that's the way I kind of look at it. And like they're, they're doing like the it's for me it's been really unusual to see them the pace that they're working at because mm-hmm. um, it's really unusual to see Microsoft just push out stuff on a monthly basis um, they they always promised that with Windows but like the reality is it's like you know buggy patches so um, but but this is like new features like I can't keep up half the time like they'll they'll be like hey here's a beta feature um, like this week they announced uh, you can like float above your slide deck when you're presenting or you can oh. pretend to be like a reporter, like kind of like the side. Yeah, of it. yeah. Like, they, they kind of took that from mm-hmm, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do it, but um, I think the the together mode. Oh, where everyone's like in a stadium or whatever. That was really cool and like kind of unique. Yeah, and I, I think they're they're probably working on a bunch of stuff like that. They, they showed like some sort of future. You know, you remember they used to do these like future of office videos every couple of years yeah they kind of did a similar one um during during night and it was like <laughs> the future is like your apartment and every screen on it is teams <laughs> so like your tv is suddenly teams <laughs> you go to i don't know the screen on your fridge and it's like your co-workers there. like that's that's the way they see the, the the future now because everyone's obviously stuck at home yeah um but like it's interesting to see how they're extending teams everywhere and, and just all the stuff that they're bringing into it. What's fascinating to me is we have seen big companies make big efforts like, all right, this is the, this is our thing now and everything has to integrate with it, right? Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of that with maybe like Office uh, 365. Uh, we definitely saw Google try to do it with like Google+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is another one of those efforts. We're like, all right, this is a central thing. Everything needs to like be part of the strategy now. Everything needs to connect to it and vice versa. And mm-hmm. normally that's a recipe for just an utter disaster. But it seems yeah. like Microsoft is not screwing it up right now. Like it's they're, they're holding it together. I'd say that the app still needs some work for performance and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it's still a little clunky, but like the service overall and all up is, is, is pretty decent. Um, and I think... They benefit, and the the reason they have like over a hundred million people using this thing every day is because it's free as part of your office subscription, right? So if you right. were already in that ecosystem, um, and particularly go, particularly going into the pandemic, um, we've seen schools like flip flip over to Teams, whereas they probably didn't really use it before because everyone's in the classroom, right? Um, so it's just a natural way because it's so essentially like bundled in to the rest of their office suite that they've kind of sort of led people straight into it at the perfect timing like it couldn't have been more perfect timing for them to have made this big teams investment for then the the pandemic to hit um because it just it just accelerated the 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 user growth has been pretty crazy for for a service like this all this focus on new features and building teams and yep it was bundled with office and that is why salesforce owns slack now right like they just (laughs) oh yeah for sure it just (laughs) happened that way i Mm -hmm. i was just looking this up there's um this week, actually, a company called Around uh, took a $10 million Series A investment from Venture and also the Slack Fund. Right. And their their big trick is that everybody in the meeting room opens Around, their video conferencing app, but then it syncs all the microphones on the laptops. Right. Right. So you get like a full spread of conference microphones from everybody's laptops. Oh, interesting. Which that is just like a feature level improvement to yeah. video conferencing, right? Anybody in the room can talk and the people who are remote can hear it well mm-hmm. in a way that like, I don't know, in the, when 
when we were in our office, like we had polycom microphones and it was just always a disaster. And like, yeah. And actually, right. when those microphones would fail, we would make a talking stick. We would make everybody in the room log, log out, turn off their mics, and then one person would, would join the meeting from their phone, <laughs> turn off the video, and then the phone would be the microphone, and then we'd pass it around the room. And if, if, it, if it wasn't that, it'd be like, can, can you please move closer to the mic? <laughs> yeah, God. That was the usual thing. But like, you know, like the amount of competition in the space is such that there's a startup here that's focused on let's, let's go real deep on the basics. Right. right. And like, there's a lot of microphones in this room because everybody has a phone and a laptop. What if we just use all those microphones to make video conferencing better? And you can see exactly why Slack now with the Salesforce money behind them is like investing in this. Yeah. Because definitely this press release mentions one click Slack integration. Yeah. Um, but like Mike is Microsoft doing that stuff too? Like this HoloLens stuff and like a Trello view in the calendar. Like, yeah, they're just like, they're attacking with features, which is the Microsoft way. And so yeah. it's like very hard to leave. So, so they've been doing a bunch of like, they do like a bunch of basic stuff like noise suppression, but like mm-hmm. nothing like linking up everyone's microphones in the room. Like if you want that sort of thing, like they're, they're offering now is the intelligent speakers. And so that thing has like multi-array mics and, and there's a speaker in itself and it should pick up, you know, a di- di- direction of people speaking and stuff. But as in terms of like how that integrates into teams on a software level, like I don't think they're quite there yet on on some of that stuff so yeah there's always like room for these these startups with like really great ideas the, the only problem with those startups is that yeah like typically they're gonna they're gonna get acquired by someone who wants them or they just get copied yeah. like that's that's the that's the big problem because they don't have the platform like the the breadth right and i think that, that was the problem with slack is that slack didn't have video and audio calling so they kind of like i mean they they technically did yeah. I mean, they did, but like it was, it was. I was on a Slack call today, and it was like, why are we on this Slack call? I don't. Yeah. Why do we pick this? But that's like a very pandemic experience. Like, yeah. I'm. Let's try Skype today. Like, we're all yeah. bored. Let's spice it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Stuart Butterfield was on the Virtual, so you can go back and listen to that episode. And he was like, "Our focus is on text." Like, yeah. Video and audio is like not where we need to be. Our focus is on this thing, and it's like it turns out actually, uh, video calling is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and they promised like this. Slack promised this almost Discord like um, open audio room. Like they haven't rolled any of that out yet, but they did promise it last year. Like I feel like that's one thing where Teams and Slack really fall back on like Discord. I, I use Discord a lot um for like more personally like just to chat with friends and 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 connect we all just jump on a call we don't say you know are you free at 8 p.m or like let's jump on a call at nine or you just see someone who's in the call and you just jump in like it's it's so seamless there's no like it's not a meeting you know it's it's just you're hanging out chatting to friends or whoever's around um and like i think teams and slack really miss that um that that ad hoc meeting because you do that at your desk you, yeah. you go over and start talking to someone. You you can't really do that in these in these tools because they're they're very rigid and structured for meetings that happen at a certain time of the day. So, I think that's that's one thing that I think we'll see a lot of experimentation of like ad hoc meetings and just pinging people at the desk and stuff. Like that that's that's the next thing that's coming. From this point on, we're running the Virgin Clubhouse, and that's the way it's going <laughs> to oh be. Oh my god! <laughs> oh no! Last thing we reviewed the Surface Pro Seven Plus. That is a name. It is, yeah. It's basically the Surface Pro 7, but with LTE and removable SSDs. Okay. That's, that's just pretty much the, the quickest way I can describe it. Um, it's good. Like, it's faster. You know, it's got the latest in, Intel chips, the better graphics as well, the XE um, graphics from Intel. But yeah, it's still, 
I still want to see a redesign. I feel like the Surface Pro is at the stage that the MacBook Air was. You know, like it's it kept that design for so many years because yeah. it worked. And fair enough, it does work. The Surface Pro it doesn't really have a a big. It's the best two in one, I guess, really out there. But I still want them, them to do something that push, pushes it closer to the Pro X. So because that hardware is so nice. It's going to be years. I mean, they might they might push it closer to the Pro X, but I have yeah. to believe that Microsoft, in particular, is as angry at Intel now <laughs> as Apple was like three four years ago, right? Yeah, like Qualcomm's sure. not getting it done for them. Windows and ARM, and you know that whole that whole fiasco. I love the Surface Pro X. I deeply love it uh, as a Chromebook, not as an actual laptop. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's great, uh, but you know. Microsoft has lots of interesting ideas for what to do with PC hardware. Like, they, they do. We saw it with the Surface. We, they, they got the mm-hmm. little Surface Go. Uh, they could just be cranking out all sorts of really interesting, cool form factors and stuff. Um, but right now, they're just like, they're waiting for slightly better iterations than what Intel can do until Intel can figure it out. And Intel's roadmap for figuring it out is a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are literally, and, and like Qualcomm isn't really stepping up to, to offer something that's that's competitive with Intel, let alone the M1, right? Yeah. Like, uh, who knows how it's gonna, how long it's going to take for them to catch up as well. So it's like they're, they're kind of battling a boat, <laughs> with both of their partners. And now they're kind of getting a little bit deeper with AMD, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. So the, the next Surface laptop that's coming in the next few months, it's going to be AMD as well, which, the, you know, the last one was as well. But it's interesting to see them sort of spread that Surface hardware through the different um, chip makers. So... But like I think their big the big question hanging over all the surface stuff and, and, and all of that is how they compete with the M one. So especially when Apple starts crank, cranking on the next chips and is there yeah. gonna be like a five year gap here or what? Like what's you know, what's gonna happen? I mean yeah. there's that rumor of the next MacBook Pro that has an S D card slot, no touch bar and a mags and it's like <laughs> and that will not have an M one, right? That will have a M- a more powerful two. MacBook Pro class yeah. processor and it's like that thing is just going to blow. It's going to blow up. Like the pent up mm-hmm. demand of people who just want like a useful MacBook Pro. Yeah. <laughs> like it was already there at the previous 16 ish one, which like fixed the keyboard and does all this stuff. But like that moment, I think is going to be a, a inflection point in the laptop industry because it will show. Yeah. Here's a, here's a pro laptop with a close to all day battery life. I'm dying for this laptop. Apple, can you just announce, <laughs> can you just call me and tell me, uh, that'd be great. Speaking of Intel, uh, by the way, if, uh, anybody, if anybody listening, we're trying to get Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger on Decoder, so yeah, because he's the new guy. It's it's on him to figure this out and potentially outsource production to TSMC and other other fabs that can get to the the node sizes they need to be competitive. That is what that was is what I want. What I really want though is for him to come on so for him for so we can just ask him to to give us one piece of advice for the next couple of years when we're talking about a laptop and we say yeah, but the M1 or the M2 is is like way faster and it's going to just be driving everybody crazy. What what can we say to like not have that just turn into like an exhausting? Yeah, but Apple's is, Apple's chip is faster. Yeah, great. We've now guaranteed that Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger will not come on decoder. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> if you if you work at Intel and you were listening, just delete that from your mind. Get the CEO on the show. <laughs> He's already smacked talk Apple though, hasn't he? Like before you even even started. Like a little bit. It was pretty gentle. Yeah, I love that actually. That was great. Well, so what he said was we have to do better than this in the lifestyle company in, in, in southern in Northern California. And it's like he's the new guy. Like, of <laughs> course he's telling his chip making team that they have to do better at making chips than the yeah. iPhone company. But 
I think he was excited that I got blown out of proportion. If I was him, I'd be excited about that. It would be great to have him on. So I've, I've, like he's he's well respected, I think, at Intel as well. So it's like, yeah, it, he'd be an interesting person to speak to about how how he's going to clean it all up. Well, Pat, if you're listening, ignore what I said, <laughs> uh, and then come on, and we'll definitely ask you that question. All right, we're going to take a break. Speaking of Apple, there's some Apple rumors to talk about, and some some crazy App Store stuff going on. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. Dieter, you want to run through these these rumors? So uh, uh, Ming-Chi Kuo has uh, come out with another slate of uh, analyst predictions. So uh, the rumor that Apple is uh, considering a folding iPhone uh, persists. Uh, there's like now a year on it, 2023. It seems like they're aiming for a um, thing that folds out into a tablet instead of a, a flip phone style thing. Um, so that exists. There's the rumor that the uh, iPhone 13, not the 12, what are we even on now? We're on 12. 13. 12. Yeah. Uh, is going to have a smaller notch and faster screens. They're finally going to have a higher refresh rate. They're going to do something to get the notch smaller. And then my favorite uh, analyst note uh, of this group is um, writes, we believe that USB-C is detrimental to the MFI's business profitability. <laughs> and waterproof spe- specification is lower than Lightning and MagSafe. So no uh, no plans for USB-C to come to the iPhone. It's much more likely it'll jump to a portless iPhone someday. Or maybe Pogo Pin, I don't know. Wait, can I just stop? Can we, <sighs> can we just live in that for a second? Yeah. Uh-oh. The MFI program, it might be very profitable for Apple. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. They sell a lot of cables with a sticker on them. Great. Overall, is a consumer it is just a failure and we've talked about this so many times like mm-hmm. the state of accessories for any apple product is like ugh. yeah right like where are the ipad keyboards that connector is open where four months in is it four i think it's four months mm-hmm. where are the magsafe chargers for my car like the, the easiest mm-hmm. product i would spend 50 dollars today just tell me where to give you the money I'll cash app it to you on title. Just put it, put an ad on Instagram and Neil, I will definitely see it and just spend the money. <laughs> All of Facebook's AI is waiting to target the MagSafe charger to me on Instagram. Where is it? It's almost as if proprietary stuff is, is, is bad for consumers. <laughs> it's just like, I, I understand, but also just like the, the stuff you can buy f- around your phone, around the iPad to, to even a pretty huge extent around the Mac, although that has nothing to do with NFI. It's just a bad, they're just bad ecosystems. Like it's hard, mm. I, it's hard to see MFI as a success. It might be making a lot of money, but it hasn't built great ecosystems. 
You know what you can do with the Mac now? Uh, thanks to some security researchers came out today. You can make your own AirTag with a little BBC micro, uh, whatever it's called. <laughs> they hacked. They didn't hack. They like figured out how the public-private key system in Find My works. And so you can mm. create your own open source. You can create your own AirTag. And then Apple will think it's an iPhone. And then Apple's Find My network will track it for you. Wow. This That's is like cool. Apple's going to arrest these people. <laughs> but when, are they, when are they doing these these air tags? Like this, this thing's been like a persistent rumor. It's like I've, a VR headset. It's, it's ridiculous how, but but like it's in the OS. Um, we've seen like you know little icons for it. Yeah, it's all there. Why yeah. are they just not releasing it? Are they are they that afraid of like Tile yelling at Congress? It's very confusing. It's very yeah. yeah the timing's strange. Yeah. I will say, though, in defense of the lightning port on the iPhone, is that don't forget where that came from. Like, that arrived when USB was a bit of a mess. Yeah. That was, I think, micro, micro USB was just happening. Right? Like, it was, it was so good when it first came. Yeah. There was a bunch of mini USB out in the time. It was reversible. And, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, they have, kept, they have kept hold of it a bit. It's outstayed as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say even my, um, the MacBook Pro I have, the 16-inch MacBook Pro, often it draws a lot of power. Over USB, yeah. so I needed a special USB C cable and a special USB C charger, and both the SMC, the System Management Controller on the that does all the charging on the the Mac, and the charger will crash, <laughs> which is like the most. I don't believe it. USB C is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like it is. I'm like, why isn't my computer charging? It's like I'm. I have to reset both. I have to unplug and plug back in the charger. <laughs> and reset the SMC on the Mac yeah. Pro. Like, I think this is related to the fact that I'm making that charger also run my video conferencing cameras. Like, this is definitely my fault. Yeah. Like, I should just have multiple chargers, but it is not the promise of USB C in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> on the folding phone, I've been thinking about this a little bit too. Because do you just want an iPhone that folds up, opens up to an iPad UI, or do you want something in between? And it's just also the iPhone 12 Pro Max has is just it's such a big screen and they do nothing to help you like do more interesting things with the big screen. Um, I get that it's awkward to use a S21 ultra, you know, big, big screen or, you know, folding phone or whatever. And like some of that UI needs work, but yeah, Apple needs to be way more flexible, no pun intended. And it's thinking on what, how, how software can work on these larger portable screens than it has. I think I just, I don't know that I want an iPad mini, just like an iPad that turns into an iPad mini. I think I want, I want more interesting ways to like manage windows and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem with the foldable phones in general at the moment, right? Is this, is literally the software and the UI. It's just, uh, it's just not quite there. It's, it's very clunky, yeah. especially like on the Surface Duo. It's, it's, it's really clunky. But yeah. I, I still feel like I'd rather it scale up to an iPad interface, but be clever about it. Hmm. I mean, it's the be clever part I'm worried about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last big sort of Apple thing to talk about. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about the bill in North Dakota that might have forced Apple to allow uh, multiple payment services on the iPhone. Failed in North Dakota. Advanced through the Arizona House. Needs to go to the Arizona Senate and then signed by the governor of Arizona. But I will tell you this. Here's a really interesting realignment politically of this. Bill advanced in Arizona, mostly by Republicans, opposed by Democrats. Ooh. The Democrats are saying, hey, there's already all this antitrust action going on. Hold off. Also, this might be unconstitutional because of the Commerce Clause. There's a lot to unpack there. Republicans, I think, are saying, hey, we have been mad at big tech for about a year and a half. 
here's some bills we can pass that will yeah. actually address some big tech problems. Lots of small businesses and startups kind of interested in this. David Hannemeyer Hansen, who uh, CTO of Basecamp, is saying if this passes in Arizona, he will relocate Basecamp to Arizona so that because then it'll be an Arizona company. Yeah. And then the law will apply to them and Apple to do business. Apple to do business with them would have to allow these multiple payment services. The bill also specific carve out after a long argument in the Arizona House uh, specifically exempts video game consoles and yep. other specialized computers that connect to the Internet, which has long been Apple's argument. Yeah, we will see. It's, it's still got a ways to go. But the, it's, it's brewing. this bill or similar bills are in lots of states. Apple is like deploying lobbyists. There's a great article in, in Protocol. The open app, whatever the whatever the lobbying system is from the the companies that are anti App Store has been. You mean very Spotify effective. wearing an eye patch and a hat? Yeah. <laughs> well, they were the one. The, the, uh, people uh, when I asked who's behind the North Dakota stuff, uh, a bunch of people reached out and said, "Oh yeah, it's it's that lobbying firm, like mm-hmm. like explicitly." Um, so they have they have gone from zero to sixty like that. Yeah, but it's definitely like Spotify and a handful of other companies and Epic yeah. in disguise. Yeah. Being like the coalition for app fairness. Uh, the the language, by the way, is other special purpose devices that are connected to the internet. Yeah. So which is like wow. if you're gonna parse it, right? There's like computers and not computers. <laughs> 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 Another hour of the bird chest coming up after this, folks. Yeah. But this is happening, right? Like interoperability, multiple payment systems, all the stuff like actually Apple. Uh, announced a tool this week that lets you transfer your iCloud photo library to Google Photos, which is a just a data portability thing that the EU, US regulators, they've all wanted for a long time. And I think we've, we've talked about this many times. A little bit of heat, a little bit of regulatory attention, these companies all just start doing the right thing. So I'm very curious to see how these state-level bills, like the conversation about whether or not they are constitutional because they touch on interstate commerce. I'm, I know the people who are going to tweet at me about this. I welcome your tweets. I'm still learning. I, I'm excited to learn from you. Um, <laughs> that's a big conversation. And the real answer will be like probably hashed out in court once one of these bills passes. But these bills are passing. There's heat on them. And it is not the political alignment that you would expect. Right. All of the antitrust action happened in the House Antitrust Subcommittee chaired by David Sicily. Like, that was all Democrats. He was on the show. He's a Democrat. All of this action is happening with Republicans. So there's not a lot of bipartisanship in America right now, but let's be angry at tech companies. Very bipartisan. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, still totally polarized, but very bipartisan. Actually, speaking of just hating app stores, what do we think of uh, Epic buying uh, Fall Guys or the, you know, the creator Mediatonic? I thought that was was kind of interesting time because Fall Guys is kind of had its little moment of growth and then, yeah but I, th- I think that the broader way to look at it is that they're, they're buying i feel like epic's buying up the full guys uh developer and obviously they've got rocket league so they right. I, I feel like they're, they're building towards a time where they can have exclusive content in their store that they own right right like they, they obviously have fortnite and all that sort of stuff but they need more like they, they, they've been trying to push that store on the pc for for quite some quite some time now um with free games and so but for some reason gamers just hate epic games and they just hate <laughs> the, the epic store like they want everything in steam so i feel like they're, they're, they're trying to build towards like some exclusive content at some point i look at it the other way right like 
Fortnite is the phenomenon it is. It is big enough to allow Epic to fight Apple head up in court because it has this internal marketplace where you're like, you're buying sins, you're buying all this stuff, you're buying dances. Fall Guys has that potential, right? People spend a lot of time in Fall Guys. It's fun. It has a sort of, if you squint, it has that like a Fortnite kind of experience where like you drop in, it's a bunch of people, you all do something, you start over, like, and then you can like customize your character. Rocket League is some of the same way, like, uh, Taylor Lyles uh, and I have been talking a lot about the F-150 that you can buy in Rocket League right now, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is very funny. I think they're buying Marketplace. They're buying these like metaverse yeah, game experiences yeah, sure. where you can do a lot of transactions for digital goods inside inside the app. But I feel like they're, built, they're, they're buying the talent, right? Because Rocket League is still huge. Like Fall Guys, I don't think is particularly huge, but but the talent behind Fall Guys and their vision for it and, and like just the, well, the culture that that company has. They're buying their right. creativity to, to, th- to have come up with new ways to sort of spin that basic metaverse model. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, they want to they want to have multiple pr- cracks at that idea. Yeah, they, they they're going to have a bunch of talent that will create the next Fortnite. Like they'll be they'll be in the best position to to you know kill Fortnite themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's where you want to be. All right, last little thing. Chris Welch had a great scoop today. Actually, uh, Sonos moving into the portable speaker category. Something called the Sonos Roam. It'll be a $169 coming April, direct competitor to like the Ultimate Ears Boom, all that stuff. Yeah. I'm into it. It's got Wi-Fi, so it'll work with the Sonos system. I guess maybe you can make surrounds out of it. That would be hilarious. That'd be uh, amazing. Yeah. I, I have no idea how it sounds. Obviously, it's pretty small. You get, a, get I think it's like a $50 dock, a wireless dock, which hopefully it's just pogo pins. Who knows? $50 is way too much for a dock. It's basically just a USB-C pass-through, pass through, but <laughs> whatever. I don't have a good Bluetooth speaker. I've been waiting for it. And, you know, I was going to buy a UE Boom. It's like been in my like Amazon buy it later cart for a very long time, but then it turned out I didn't need to leave the house and didn't need a Bluetooth speaker. Um, <laughs> but that, that time is coming. Um, like using them in parks is nice. I think this is probably going to be the thing I buy. Yeah. And it's not just because I'm, I'm not a Sonos super fan. We've got Sonos in the house. Uh, I like it, but it just, I don't know. I prefer this to like an AirPlay 2 speaker. I definitely prefer it to Bluetooth. It just gives you, you can do all that stuff, but it gives you like one nicer, more convenient way to, to start your music. I, I had one of those. Um, they, it wasn't it wasn't an Echo, but it was like the Amazon Bluetooth speaker. I forget what they called it. The Echo Tap. The Tap. Yeah, yeah. Except I think it was just the Amazon Tap. It might not have been the Echo. Tap. <laughs> You're right. It was just. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, it sounded like hot garbage. It was the worst. It was, I had one too, I, and, it, and mine died. Which no Bluetooth speaker I've ever had has just been like, you know what? Fuck it. Yep. Like, <laughs> give up. But it had a little dock you could set it on. And like most importantly, um, you know, if you took it to an Airbnb or something, you hook it up to the Wi-Fi and then you've got Lexa in your Airbnb or in your wherever you are. And then you can talk to the speaker to get stuff or get, get music. And it's way more convenient than like walking the hotel room, but the phone, but, but, but. Um, so that's why I'm interested in this thing. If it sounds good. For, for $170, who knows? I'm interested in it because the name makes sense. <laughs> it's good. It's a good name. It's like Sonos has like a speaker that's called Five, and a speaker that's called Arc, and a speaker that's called Beam. Like the only other one that really makes sense is Sub. Yeah. Well, there's the Move, which is hard to move. Yeah. Move. I, I like our Move a lot. I yeah. didn't even consider the uh, possibility of dramatically producing my battery-powered surround speakers in various rooms of the house to watch TV. <laughs> and if that is possible, I'm, I'm in. 
Yeah. Like, hang on, it's movie time. Let me go Ooh. collect my surround speakers. Wait, what if what if they made it easier to dynamically move them from room to room so that you when it, when you want to watch uh, you got the Sonos and the little Arc you know in your bedroom you like carry the speakers in and set them behind the bed. And That's then what I'm saying. When you want to go watch them in the living room, you carry speakers down there and they know where they are. <laughs> what was if you could get a couple of the room rooms and just tack them to your ceiling and then have Atmos? Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. We all need to get the hell out the house. Is like what we are clearly demonstrating. Oh wait, and they're <laughs> yeah. they're kind of cylindrical. You could you could build one of those like male vacuum tube systems like they used to have at the banks, you know, and then you could like yeah, yeah, yeah. shoot them around the house. <laughs> we need to we need to leave our house. That's what I got. It'd be called Sonos Swish. <laughs> Amazing. That's actually a good name. All right. That's it. Uh, I want to call out on Monday in the feed. We got a special episode. Uh, we had an event this week with Senator Amy Klobuchar and a bunch of panelists talking about the future of tech regulation in Section 230. We'll have a highlight episode coming for you on Monday with Russell and Addy. That's very exciting. Twitter had a product, Cave on Bakeport, on Decoder next Tuesday. That's going to be a good one, I think. We'll see. I've got it. I've got some ideas for that one, too. So that's coming on, on Tuesday. We'll be back next Friday with more Vergecast. Thank you to Micah. You can tweet at him. He's at Michael Singleton. Tom is at Tom Warren. Dieter is at Bacalon. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. That's it. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Europe. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.